Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Stories of Strangeness. We are your hosts, Mike. Hello there. And I'm Zoe. Hello. Uh, This week is a Mike episode and uh, I think I've got a vague inkling (laughs) of what it might be. You should have, yeah. I think this is a much anticipated episode, if I'm correct. And no idea. They'll be skipping and jumping in the streets <laughs> somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so do you want to? Absolutely. The Rendlesham Forest Incident. Woo. Christmas, 1980. I would have been six, Zoe was one. The Cold War was at its peak, fueled by paranoia on both sides around nuclear proliferation and differing governing styles. During this period of uncertainty, the UK government agreed to let the US increase its friendly military presence on our shores. This included stockpiles of nuclear weapons, unknown to the British public. Two of the bases to include this deadly arsenal were the joint US Air Force and RAF bases of Woodbridge and Bentwaters, located near the town of Ipswich in the county of Suffolk. Separated by Rendlesham Forest, These two bases saw a series of events over that Christmas that would lead it to be dubbed Britain's Roswell. Between the 25th and the 28th of December, there was a flurry of UFOs witnessed over the twin bases by both civilian and military witnesses. Jim Penniston was the on-duty flight chief for the Woodbridge base, and around midnight, he received a call from the security centre that he was to be collected by Airman First Class Cavansag to then meet up with two of the base's military police, Bud Steffens and John Burroughs. The pair reported seeing strange lights in the air above Rendlesham Forest. Penniston thought it might be a downed aircraft and that they should investigate. Steffens, however, insisted that there hadn't been a crash, as he had seen the strange light land. Steffens declined to join the outgoing patrol, so shaken was he at what he'd seen. So it was that Penniston, Cabinsag and Burroughs drove up into the forest to determine what had happened. In the forest they saw a bright light shining through the trees. Their vehicle could no longer serve them due to the terrain, so they proceeded on foot. As they drew closer to the source of the light, their radios began to malfunction. At this point, Penniston wisely ordered Cabinsag to stay near the vehicle and act as a communications link to the security control centre. As they continued into the heart of the forest, Penniston noted that the local fauna appeared to be in some sort of frenzy, with animals and birds behaving erratically. He also noted that radio communications with Cabinsag had deteriorated, despite not having gone very far from him. Penniston ordered Burroughs to stay near the tree line and act as a relay, but Burroughs, who was by now extremely anxious, failed to acknowledge the order and subsequently all radio contact with the base was lost. The two men were alone in the forest with whatever this thing was. As the pair approached to within 50 metres of 164 feet, Penniston could make out some kind of craft which appeared to be metallic, but unlike anything he'd ever seen in his seven years in the Air Force. Moving closer, his hair stood on end, not out of fear, but as if the air itself was statically charged. At the 20 metre mark, 65.5 feet, Penniston noted a complete absence of any wildlife and a deathly quiet in the area. Continuing forward, 
he could see a shiny black triangular craft, 2 meters high, 6.5 feet, and 3 wide, 9.8 feet. The surface was smooth like glass and white light was emitting from both the top and the bottom of the craft. Red and blue lights flashed alternately on either side. Peniston then brought out a camera and shot a full roll of film of the object, circling around the back of the object to get more shots. He could see no visible means of propulsion and no manufacturing marks such as seams or rivets, etc. It was at this point that Peniston decided to touch the object. To his surprise, it was warm despite its location and the surrounding English winter nighttime climate. As he moved his hand over its surface, he discovered a series of markings etched onto its left side which felt like sandpaper in contrast to the craft's otherwise smooth exterior. As he touched the glyphs, Peniston was subjected to a brilliant white light and found he could not see or hear. He was alone in the blinding whiteness for an undetermined amount of time before his sight returned. He was still standing next to the craft facing the symbols. The craft began to turn a vivid white, which made Peniston think it might be about to explode. He took up a defensive position nearby as the craft became completely engulfed in the white light. The thing then rose four feet into the air, manoeuvred between the trees and then rose above the canopy and disappeared suddenly. Peniston claims he sent some form of life present inside despite not being able to see any occupants and was certain it was under intelligent control. During the whole encounter, Peniston noted what he was seeing in his logbook, which he still has. One note relating to the craft's departure simply states, Speed, impossible. After returning to the base, the men were debriefed about what they'd seen and then told to forget they had ever seen anything. But Peniston and Burroughs decided to return to the site shortly after the debrief and found broken branches littering the area, along with three indentations in the earth where the craft had sat. Peniston returned to the site the following day and made plaster casts of the indentations. During his contact with the craft, Peniston also claimed he received some sort of message written in ones and zeros, which he could then see in his mind's eye. He copied the code into his book. Once written down, his imagination cleared and he could no longer see the code. British military intelligence later investigated the site and found radiation readings at 10 times higher than normal background levels near the indentations. This information came to light after Admiral Lord Hill Norton, former British Chief of Defence Staff and keen UFO researcher, repeatedly pressured the UK government into releasing documentation relating to the incident. In 2001, declassified documents were released by the MOD, Ministry of Defence. It was one particular memo that brought the incident to the attention of the public. Written by Colonel Holt in January 1981, it documents not only the encounter had by Peniston et al, but also an encounter of his own. The memo was written at the request of the British base commander, then squadron leader Donald Morland to the MOD, and would have remained away from the eyes of the public had it not been for an American organisation called Citizens Against UFO Secrecy who obtained it using the Freedom of Information Act in 1983. The memo confirmed that an encounter had indeed happened despite denials from both the UK MOD and US Air Force. Colonel Holt had been away from the base on Christmas Day and so had not heard about the encounter until Boxing Day 
December the 26th. Holt summoned Cabansag to his office to hear his account. The following day, Holt was attending a party when an officer informed him that the UFO is back. Holt was then instructed to form a patrol to investigate with an aim to debunk the whole affair and put it to rest as the officers thought things were getting quite out of hand. On entering the forest with his team, Colonel Holt discovered numerous vehicles and personnel already in situ. Men were running back and forth while vehicles and lighting equipment experienced malfunctions. Holt and the team proceeded to the original landing site and shortly thereafter spotted a red glowing object moving in the forest. Holt recorded his observations on a mini tape recorder which was later released to the public and makes for fascinating listening. So we've just listened to Holt's tape and I'll link to it in the show notes. It's probably a bit too long to include in the episode, but you can download it and listen to it, or you can listen to it online. And there's also a transcript, which again, I'll link to later so you can follow along. The group saw another object come in at incredible speed, which then stopped and hovered over them, sending a laser-like beam down to the ground, mere feet from where they stood in amazement. The UFO then moved over the weapons storage area of the base and continued to fire the light beam at the bunkers. It is likely that at least some of the bunkers contained nuclear weapons, although Colonel Holt has never confirmed this, as he would be bound by security agreements and or the Official Secrets Act. Many nuclear installations have reported UFO activity over the years, and this may be another case. After the Holt memo became public domain, the news of the world ran the headline, UFO lands in Suffolk, and that's official. The MOD responded with denials. Admiral Lord Hill Norton has stated that either the witnesses were hallucinating, or else they actually saw what they claimed to have seen. Nick Redfern, UFO researcher, claims the former in his book about the case, The Rendlesham Forest UFO Conspiracy. Citing evidence for mind-altering hallucinogens being developed for weaponization by a secret facility Porton Down in nearby Wiltshire, Redfern claims that these substances were secretly tested on airmen from the Woodbridge and Bentwaters bases without their knowledge, and were bolstered by the use of advanced hologram technology, the aim being to see how far the human mind could be warped by such things. Interestingly, this theory plays into another conspiracy that states that there is something called Project Bluebeam, which posits a false flag operation that utilises holograms and other tech to convince the people of Earth that an alien invasion has occurred, leading the way for a one-world government, known in conspiracy circles as the New World Order, which was mentioned by then-President Bush Sr. in a speech, and also in a clip I played in a previous episode by President Reagan, who wondered about how quickly all human conflict would fade in the face of an outside alien threat. Interestingly, it's pretty much also the plot to Watchmen the comic. Redfern also mentions experiments with ball lightning which have been observed as having pieces fall off them, similar to the description in the Holt tape. The other option is that they saw something, but what? Various causes have been put forward from falling space debris, junk from a Soviet space launch did indeed burn up in the atmosphere over East Anglia during that time and could have been seen from the ground, to lights on tractors, to low-horizon stars and planets, to the Orford Ness Lighthouse. 
Researcher Ian Ridpath is convinced that the flashing light seen described on the tape is the lighthouse, and the tape has been played while watching the lighthouse, which revolves at a rate of once every five seconds, and the mentions of the flashing light coincide with this timing. There's also a video by the BBC of an interview with Vince Thurkettle, who lived and worked in Rendlesham Forest at the time of the incident. In the video, the light from Orford Ness Lighthouse can be seen over his left shoulder, and the view matches the description of the tape of it being like a pupil of an eye looking at you. Ridpath also thinks the lights seen later in the tape, stated as being two in the north and one in the south, are the stars Deneb and Vega in the north and Sirius in the south. Ridpath confirmed that the southern object, which according to Holt was hovering over Woodbridge based at about 5 to 10 degrees off the horizon at 4am, yet when base personnel went outside to check, there was nothing hovering. Ridpath states that from Holt's likely position in the forest, Woodbridge would have been to the southwest and not to the south as stated by Holt, which is where Sirius was setting in the sky at an altitude of about 7 degrees. The apparent movement of the objects can be caused by fluctuations of brightness and colour, an effect caused by light refracting through the atmosphere, which is more pronounced when the celestial objects are near the horizon and can also be caused or accentuated by passing clouds. The weather report for that night included patchy cloud. But what about the indentations in the ground at the site, or the oddly marked trees, the radiation readings, or the radar blips? Well, the indentations which Holt took plaster casts of may have been nothing more than marks made by animals, according to Suffolk police, possibly rabbits. Also, the marks on the trees were hatchet marks, to designate which trees were to be cut down for timber. Ian visited the forest on many subsequent occasions and regularly saw such marks on other trees. The soil samples taken showed signs of calcium carbonate, but the likely explanation for this is that it was from the plaster they used to make the casts. The radiation readings showed little more than background radiation. In fact, higher, but still background levels were recorded in the field outside the forest. And some debate has been had over whether the equipment used that night was even suitable for the readings taken, as it wasn't meant to measure environmental radiation. Ian has also never managed to trace down any radar data that corresponds with the sightings. He did find that the UK TV show Strange But True linked a radar blip observed by Mal Scurrer, then radar operator at RAF Nettershed in Norfolk, to the case. But Mal himself has gone on the record saying that his sighting, which took place during a training exercise, had happened in late October or early November and was not linked with the case. Squadron leader Derek Coombe, then commander of Eastern Radar, received calls from Holt asking for radar confirmation. They were very jumpy and panicky on the phone, but I personally checked the radar picture and there was absolutely nothing to be seen. Coombe impounded the tapes which were collected for analysis by a military air traffic organisation team at RAF Uxbridge, but who found the tapes to be faulty. But then what about Penniston, who said he actually touched the craft? Well, it turns out that in their initial statements, the other two personnel, Burroughs and Cabansag, stated only that they had seen lights that implied an object was there, and not a craft or an object as described by Penniston. In fact, Cabansag stated that they followed the lights through the forest 
only to find that the glowing object near the beacon light, now thought to be Orford Nest Lighthouse, was in fact a lit up farmhouse. Holt recalled a similar encounter with the farmhouse during a second incident. We had also noticed that the farmer's house appeared to be glowing as though there were a fire inside. All the windows were bright red and sort of flickering and I was quite concerned for the occupants of the house. Local researcher Robert McLean retraced the airman's steps and also saw the house on fire illusion for himself which he called quite an effective illusion but states it was only due to local lighting conditions. Burroughs' account also briefly mentions the lighthouse. We got up to a fence that separated the trees from the open field and you could see the lights down by a farmer's house. We climbed over the fence and started heading towards the red and blue lights and they just disappeared. Once we reached the farmer's house, we could see a beacon going around so we went towards it. We followed it for about two miles before we could see it was coming from a lighthouse. Then, said Burroughs, we had just crossed a creek and we were told to come back when we saw a blue light to our left in the trees. It was only there for a minute and it just streaked away. After that, we didn't see anything so we returned to the truck. Even Penniston's account contradicts itself. His original written statement says he never got closer than 50 metres, 160 feet, to the object, which the accompanying object in his notebook shows to be box-shaped. It was only after Penniston underwent regressive hypnosis that he began to describe the object as triangular. None of this, however, completely countermands the Penniston's notebook in which he jotted down notes and drawings. Some accounts say that Penniston examined the craft for 45 minutes, whereas others say that Penniston experienced a 45-minute lapse in time, a commonly claimed phenomena in UFO contact cases. Unfortunately, Penniston's notebook also had erroneous dates and times of the event, which were mirrored in Holt's infamous memo. This raises doubts as to the authenticity of the document, with independent evidence showing the correct dates and times. Even as late as 2010, Penniston still stuck by the dates and times in his notebook, in fact, although Penniston referred to and read from the notebook in a Sci-Fi Channel program, and some additional pages were shown in the History Channel's Britain's Roswell in 2005 and the documentary I Know What I Saw in 2009, the earliest reference to the notebook comes from an Omni magazine interview. The date of the interview is not given, but the website shows a copyright date of 1996. Previous to that, Penniston appeared on the Strange But True show in July of 1994 and made no mention of notes or sketches during the extensive interview. Another witness, Richard Bertolino, sat next to Penniston on the pickup bus the next day and his testimony seems to imply that Penniston drew a diamond shape with tripod legs while he watched. In Penniston's witness statement made shortly after the incident, he drew the craft as boxy and on legs but a detail of the craft is accompanied by a question mark. If he studied the craft for 45 minutes, why the uncertainty? The sketch showing of triangular craft, although dated 27th of December, was not made at the same time as his witness statement and doesn't come from his notebook either, as the paper stock was different. In fact, it appears to have surfaced around 1997, but could that have been Penniston redrawing what he remembered he'd seen for another interview. Colonel Ted Conrad, the base commander and boss of Lieutenant Colonel Hall, interviewed Pen Penniston a day or so after the event and recalls only a report from Penniston that he and Burroughs followed an unknown light through the trees until it disappeared 
behind a low rise in the direction of the farmhouse. No description of craft or encounter or a notebook. Lastly, Penniston has never claimed that the craft was of extraterrestrial origin. In fact, after the regression hypnosis sessions in 1994, he claimed that the craft's occupants were time travellers from tens of thousands of years in Earth's future. According to Penniston, our distant descendants of some form of malaise involving infertility and travel back to 1980 to collect genetic material to ensure the survival of the species. Oddly, a movie called Official Denial, which was broadcast on the Sci-Fi Channel in November 1993 and released on video in May 1994, has a plot that revolves around many of the same elements. An unknown craft is shot down by the US Air Force and lands in a forest. The occupants are us from the future, who have come back in time to collect genetic material to help them reproduce because their race is dying out. Did Penniston see the movie? Or maybe he heard about it in passing, forgot about it, and then expounded its plot, mistaking it for his own experiences under hypnosis. In any case, he wouldn't be the first to relive a false memory based on a TV show under hypnosis. Are you looking for a new adventure? Did you ever want to visit the city where all your nightmares reside? Well, you're in luck. Join us, your tour guides, Christine and Jen, to visit Nopeville, where you will be personally escorted on an all-inclusive trip through the city and see all possibilities of terror and fright. You'll see all sorts of things on your tours, including, but definitely not limited to, the paranormal, true crime, the supernatural, and more. If you're into all that and enjoy a little dark humor, book your tour today and nope right along with us. Check us out on our website at nopevillepodcast.com to see where you can listen to Nopeville today. we think i can't believe that i didn't really know any of that considering it's just down the road yeah it's close and at that point as we've discussed previously my parents were kind of into that kind of thing yeah and if we had a car i'd go and take you because there's a ufo trail you can walk oh wow well put it on the list love put it on the list yeah we know people with cars a field visit yeah I, I don't know. I mean, farms are funny places. Yeah. And and East Anglia is an odd place. Going out there, it's, it's very flat, so you can see for miles and miles. Yeah. And farm equipment is really odd Yeah. as well. There's all sorts of sprayers and harvesters and all sorts of things. Yeah. Which, I don't know, depending on the sort of farm that it was, there could have been something traveling across a field, through yeah. the trees, yeah. and they say, oh, it disappeared. It could have just turned its light off and gone into yeah, a shed. Absolutely. Um, there was there was an account by somebody, and I've completely forgotten who it was, but basically they said they were driving along and came across a UFO which had this white light and beams of light coming down in front of it. And it was only when they got quite close they realized it was a, like a mini tractor. Yeah. And they were convinced for a while that it was a UFO. They do look really odd because, I mean, obviously I grew up on a farm and daylight savings is completely useless to farmers these days because they literally work 24-7. Well, we're banning it, aren't we? I heard that, yeah. In a few years, which I'm happy about because I I think it's just silly It just makes no sense. It just confuses everybody. Yeah. It gives you an excuse to either be late or early. I don't know. 
But no, well, not the, if you've got phones and things that have automatic clocks on them. Well, yeah, but batteries run out or something. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, so farm equipment can look really, really odd in the dark and you do yeah. get very, very bright lights because they're obviously trying to light up the field to make sure that they're going to be harvesting correctly, etc. I'm or not, not saying, driving into a ditch or, or something. Well, yeah. yeah, I'm not saying that they were harvesting at, you know, silly o'clock but... on Christmas Day Eve boxing yeah, between New Year's. Yeah, it would be unlikely, I would it say. It would be, but you don't know. You could've don't know. Been. Maybe there's a couple of drunk farmers messing yeah, around. Could have been, could have been. And they're like, let's see if we can trick the Americans. Yeah. Yeah. It seems like a lot of Peniston's testimony about touching the craft and yeah. reading the symbols, which he noted down, and the binary code that got telepathically sent to him seems to have all come after his hypnosis sessions. It all came out like he suddenly remembered them yeah. after hypnosis, which... So who hypnotised him? I, I don't know. Because could it have I been something was, that was implanted by the, the yeah. hypnotizer? Could Is that be, the right I suppose, word? yeah. Hypnotist. The hypnotist. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that... Because it, it's to start off with, it all seemed like it was going quite, you know, you explaining it all, didn't it? Yeah. And, then, and then at the end, it just, just fell, fell down the cliff. A lot of it fell to pieces. But yeah. it's it's difficult because while I was cooking tea tonight, I was watching I Know What You Saw, which is mentioned in there and yeah. is available on Prime Video for anybody that's got Prime. And that first starts talking about the Phoenix Lights UFO, and then it goes on to the Rendlesham Forest one. Yeah. And like they say, a lot of the people involved in this are still alive. Mm -hmm. And you had Colonel Holt and John Burroughs being interviewed on camera because yeah. they did like a big meetup thing. The guy who made the documentary okay. got a load of UFO enthusiasts into a room and did interviews all day long kind of, thing, kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. And hearing them speak about it, it changes the game again. Because although you've got, one guy going, well, you know, Sirius was in the southwest and, you know, you can get weird effects where things look like they're falling off stars or twinkling and changing colour or getting yeah. brighter, getting dimmer, so it maybe looks like they're moving towards you or behind you. And I, and if you're on the move, looking yeah. through a load of trees, it can it can be quite confusing as to something. The people at the base not seeing anything when they went outside and they were saying, look, there's these things beaming lights down to the that ground. That was a bit that was a bit like, well, hang yeah. on, they're saying, there's one thing seeing lights in the sky moving, seeing flashing lights through the trees, etc. But to yeah. see something that is beaming lights down. Yeah. Was it a helicopter? But That's the only thing I can think of that flies through the sky and beams lights down. Well, the, like that. The Ian Ridpath says it, it's just celestial objects, it's just stars. And under certain conditions, like if it's if your eyes are particularly watery or if you're squinting or something, you do get that kind of streak from light I sources. Suppose, but then like, there was more than one person that saw it, and they yeah. were not telling me all of them were like, "Oh, it's a bit chilly. My eyes were a bit runny." But there was an interesting thing one person mentioned about the fact that Colonel Holt goes, "Oh, yeah, there's this red light," and then immediately yellow. the tape goes, "It's yellow, sir," and he goes, "Yeah, I saw a yellow tinge in it too. Weird," and. Apparently, Colonel Holt is the only person that described the light as red. Everybody else said yellow or white or kind of 
white, yellow, something like that. Yeah. He was the only person that described it as red, which might suggest he has some form of colour blindness. Yeah, which, that's what I was going to say. Uh, is he- there was a particular name for this particular kind of red, yellow colour blindness, which mm-hmm. I can't remember, but they said it's actually quite common and particularly in, in men. In which, men. So yeah. I'm just going to grab my random notes. Yeah, when they started describing the object, it did take me back to Skinwalker Ranch. A little yeah. bit. When they were sort of saying, "Oh, it's it's like this. It's got lights at either end. It's <clears throat> yeah. it's blocky. Oh, it's it's hovering." And I was like, "Oh, is this going to be a bit like that?" But yeah, it didn't end up going that way. No, this was more generally described as white light coming out the top and bottom, and then blue and red lights flashing alternately on the sides of it. Yeah, and some of the lights that were seen later in the sky were also described in a similar way yeah. as having white light with blue and red kind of flashes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And like the setting um, the setting of the scene was quite good. It's like, okay, I would say it is very, very rare to have any area of the fens not have any kind of wildlife in. Yeah. And the but, fact that the farm animals went crazy. But did you sudden. not did you not read in the notes it was an arable farm, there were no farm animals. Right, interesting. Because I was I was reading all the notes alongside the yeah. the thing. It actually said when they said, "Oh, the the farm animals, the barnyard animals are going crazy." Yeah. The actual note said, "the the farm next to them is an arable farm. Arable farm there so are no animals. animals." So yeah, I think because that was on Ian Ridpath's site, which yeah. anybody that's even remotely interested in this should should read through just for a, a different perspective because it's interesting. He said he thought it might have been muntjac deer. That were disturbed by human presence yeah. in the forest. The you thing know, is, that's what I mean. Normally. There's, there's going to be deer, badgers, foxes, yeah. a whole plethora of random birds. Yeah. Even at that time of year, they're they're going to be about. And if you're stomping around in the forest, yeah, they're going to get gonna surprised get a bit and alarmed and stuff. Yeah. 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 But also, in the fens at that time of year, sound travels on a clear night. You can hear farms. And like miles dogs away, barking, yeah. miles and miles away. Yeah, so you sense. don't. It could have been. Far, it could have been farmyard animals, yeah. and they could have been literally twenty miles away. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah, there was a couple of other interesting bits. The the radar stuff that apparently was taken, and then the tapes were impounded, mm. and then the tapes were proven to be faulty. Yet apparently, I mean that all sounds very suspicious to me. Yeah. But at the same time, they were saying well, there's, there's nothing on there. Yeah. So maybe they were genuinely faulty. Who knows? But it's like, also, why did they want to analyse them if there was nothing on there? Yeah. There's loads of little inconsistencies like that. Like, there was one thing I read that said that Penniston was interviewed by, I think, at one point two CIA agents, I think it was. And then at another point, it was a CIA agent and, a, and a, probably an MI5 or, you know, UK equivalent, something along those lines. And they asked to administer sodium pentothal, which is known as the truth drug, right. to him, which he said, okay, but after this, you've got to leave me alone. And apparently the people that were interviewing him showed no surprise or shock when he mentioned what he'd seen, what he'd felt, what he'd touched, what yeah. he'd written down, whatever, but just was like, okay, that's all fine. We just need to know how to kill the story, basically. Okay. Which, if that's true, that sounds 
decidedly suspicious. Yeah, kill the story. Why do you want to kill the story? What's going on? What are you what are you trying to hide? Also, one of the three indentation plaster casts went missing during moving some stuff from uh, Woodbridge base to convenient I think, somebody's home. Yeah. Yeah. And all the photographs that I mentioned that Penniston took where he went around the back of it and things. Yeah. He sent them off to be developed and all that came back was like a note saying that each one of them had been very foggy and hadn't shown anything. I'm sorry, but being a child of the this sort of, you know, 80s and taking many, many photos, you got all those photos back. It didn't matter how crap they were. Yeah. Well, yeah, but this would have been a military. It's not he like you took them down, down to boots, boots. shouldn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Can we get him um, done in an hour? Yeah. We'll pay eight pounds. But apparently they, they didn't get returned and he thinks they were impounded, basically. Yeah. Which, silly, again, silly. if true, in theory, that shows whatever this object was. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's yeah. a difficult one. Well, but, yeah, there were the one thing said that they encountered radiation readings at ten times the background level and others were going three or four clicks on the thing they were. That's nothing. Yeah. Literally nothing. It's normal. The other thing about the the abrasions on the trees being logging marks, I was like, okay, that's sorry, fair logging. Enough. We're not in Canada. No, but we do produce timber. Yeah, but it depends on the the size of that forest. I wouldn't have thought it would be a wood like proper wood forest. Pine trees. You can make furniture out of pine, love, or any number of things. Yeah. I mean, it'd be easy to look in to see if that was something There'll that was done in... There'll be a forestry commission. Well, apparently, again, Ian Ridpath has gone out there many times and has seen similar marks because the trees that were marked did get cut down, which some are saying, well, that's, well, that's getting rid of the evidence. But yeah. then the forestry commission's going, no, we plan to cut those trees down for timber, and that's exactly what we did. So, hmm. again, you've got a, a bit of a weird one. The one weird thing I've said was that all the abrasions seem to be facing the center yeah but then if you've got a guy walking around with an axe that has to cut a load of trees he's just going to go around probably in a circle isn't he it depends which means they are all going to face essentially the center of the circle pretty much i'm not sure that's how i'd do it but you know yeah fair enough (laughs) yeah yeah but there was also the fact that there were no clicks coming off the back of the trees and there were clicks coming off the front of the trees near the actual that does suggest something yeah. Going outwards. But one of the things I wrote down when you mentioned how, because obviously the forest is between the two bases. Yeah. And that it could be possibly, it could have been like mass hysteria, hallucination, drug testing, yeah. or gas testing. It reminded me of the episode of Sherlock. Do you remember they did The Hound of the Baskervilles? Right. Yeah. But basically, it's you're given the drug yeah. and then things are implied and your brain just makes up the rest. Yeah. So if you say, oh, you're going out to investigate this area where there's been supposed uh, UFO sighting, go see what you can find. Yeah. All you need is a guy in the in the like trees to flash a torch a couple of times and then your drug addled brain adds the rest. Yeah. And then absolutely. you find you find details that that aren't possibly there, but they are there, but you give them new meaning. Yeah, you're finding new connections. Which I was like, oh, things. is it is it is it like that? Or is that where they got it's it possible. from? It's possible. There was an interesting thing said by Lord Admiral Hill Norton on the I Know What I Saw documentary where yeah. he says, you know, either they were hallucinating yeah, or, or they, did. they saw what they think they saw. And he says, and when you consider that that was very probably a base with nuclear weapons on board, 
either some sort of craft with technology far in advance of our own was visiting that base. Yeah. Or else you had a load of people wandering around high off, off their tits on essentially LSD. Yeah. On an acid trip wandering around that had access to a base with nuclear weapons on it. Yay. How is the Ministry of Defence then turning around and saying, we're aware of what happened or we've been notified of what supposedly happened? We don't think it's of defence interest. How is that either of those scenarios not yeah. of defence interest kind of thing? I mean, from the recording, it did sound like they could see something. Oh, yeah, they definitely saw something. But again, that could but be hallucinatory. It, but it's that age-old thing, isn't it? You can see something, but if you don't know what it is, you can make it into anything. Yeah. You can and, see a shadow, and it could just be someone's shadow, but if you don't know it's someone's shadow, you can be, oh, it's a shadowy figure, it's a ghost. Yeah. It's a, a portent for disaster. It's my old granny come back to poke me in the night. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that kind of thing. Seeing things where there are none, basically. Yeah. But a lot of, a lot of that kind of thing generally revolves around things like faces or something like that because we have a tendency to see faces everywhere. I, mean, I see faces. Two dots on a line, you see a face. But, yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know. It's, it's really difficult because it's like, again, it's the whole, I want to believe it would be nice because it's local and it's like, yeah, we, we can have exciting UFO things going on over here too. Yeah. Uh, but the other part of me is like, again, just doesn't seem to have been handled particularly well or thoroughly in a way that, that kind of makes everybody happy. It's like, yeah, maybe the military were happy with sending a load of people out into a forest or woodland area that they didn't really know at night. I don't mm. know, just all the very thorough. Yeah, no, it, it wasn't really. But again, we're going back 40 years. Shh. Um, <laughs> You just told everyone how old I am. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. It it just seemed like, oh, go and check it out kind of thing, rather yeah. than like, let's investigate this properly. And also, when they did like, come back and go, this is what we found, apparently the, it was very much a kind of, well, keep it under your hat and we, we don't But these are the anymore. people who knew that there was nuclear weaponry on those bases and they're like, meh, there's this thing flying around, pointing lights at us, not yeah. bothered. And I mean, considering that now the US Air Force have come out and said UFOs are definitely, or UAPs are definitely a real phenomenon. Yeah. It's not just in people's heads. And they released the video of that UFO in the fighter plane's crosshairs, which I'll show you if you haven't seen. I think I have. Worth, it was basically the one that they kind of was attached to every version of the story that yeah. went online. Yeah. It's like, okay, US, US Air Force says, or US might have been Navy actually. One of them definitely came out and said that UFOs are a real thing. But then I always think to myself when stuff comes out like that, I'm like, why have you chosen now to tell us? What are you trying to cover up? What are you trying to like? Yeah, what are you deflecting? Yeah, it's like. Yeah. Well, like I say, there is there is a look over a, there a theory that UFOs are not alien crafts. They're something else, or yeah. whatever else they are. That's we what they're covering know. up by yeah. telling us that they're aliens. So there's the time traveller theory, which yeah. is form, actually formed part of this story. There's the interdimensional beings theory. And actually that was an interesting one because there was a thing I watched whereby if you were to take a ping pong ball mm -hmm. and you were able to push it through a sheet of paper and say, for example, each time you pushed it through a bit, you marked a circle on the paper. Yeah. 
Okay, that's how a two D universe would experience a three D object as a series as a circle that just gets bigger and then smaller again as it passes through it. Makes right. sense. Yep. Vaguely. So it's like like an MRI machine. You take kind of slices of the cross section yep, yep, of whatever yep. you're doing. So you'll get a little circle at first, and then as it moves through that plane, it it'll bigger, get bigger and bigger and bigger and until it reaches its equator, and then smaller and smaller and smaller until it disappears. Yeah. But if you were a 2D person living on a 2D plane, all you would see is a circle suddenly go bigger and then smaller, and that's it. Yeah. So there's a theory that a lot of alien sightings and orb sightings and things like that are four or five D objects intruding into 3d space which we can only perceive as a certain thing oh my god and i've seen videos where (laughs) you can almost see something kind of like grow grow into being and then back again kind of thing and it's a really anomalous thing and it's like okay that kind of has some weight to it you Mm. know it's 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 an an interesting interesting theory theory. yes and then obviously you've got the other ones which is it's it's absolutely human tech but it's human tech that governments don't want other governments to know about because they use it to spy on each other and blah 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 because people are horrible yeah (laughs) so there's other theories as to what these things are besides aliens from other planets but there's also the it could be aliens from other planets theory yes i'm not quite sure which i'd prefer it to be to be honest Mm. Yeah, I mean, aliens, interdimensional beings, it's pretty much of a much there, really, isn't it? Because we're dealing with things that we just have no idea of how they work or live or are. Yes. But yeah, hearing the hearing the people involved in it actually talk about it really... Because you can see, you know, you pick up on an awful lot of non-verbal cues and things like mm-hmm. that about how authentic you think they feel or sound or... Yeah. And none of them seem like they're flat out lying. However... Memory is a funny thing and it's mutable and it, it changes very, over time. Yes, very much so. So they might believe wholeheartedly that X happened, but it might have been X minus one or X minus Y or, mm-hmm. you know, you get the idea. Because again, you know, you, there are things that we believe happened to us in a certain way, a party we attended or a night that we went out or whatever. And then you hear somebody else's version of it and you're like, oh, I didn't remember that bit. That's, or, I mean, that's that wasn't the way I remember it. True to everything it. though, isn't it? Because exactly. we're all living our own life. Yeah. And looking at things, even like like you say, you know, you can watch something, even sitting a little bit further along a sofa, things look a little bit different. Every yeah. view is slightly yeah. different. Yeah, I mean, the saying is that you're a blob of jelly piloting a meat-driven skeleton around and hallucinating reality while you do it, which is actually a pretty good definition of life. Yeah. Yeah, because there was something I was reading the other day as so well that was saying out. about how we actually... <laughs> pretty much just hallucinate reality and a lot of it isn't what we think it is at all like but we see when so i told little you of that it. you can't see the color mauve or orange nobody yeah. can your brain just guesses nice no, pink in it because you don't have pinks? those rods and cones you've only got rgb I rods and cones so pink. yeah there's particular shades of pink if you yeah. take the the color spectrum it's red at one end and kind of blue at the other yeah and they don't meet and the kind of the purples and the oranges and the the mauves and things like that are somewhere between the two, but they don't lie on either end of the scale. So your brain just gives it a best guess and sticks with it. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why I like them. But yeah, what was it? I was reading the other day that was saying like, basically you hallucinate your reality and it's really not what you think it is at all. And that actually most of the time we're preempting what's going to happen and reacting to that rather than reacting to what's actually happening. 
Yeah. So if you think this about, is well, why witness testimony is so difficult but, because we're all hallucinating and crazy, yeah. essentially. But then it's like basically stress and anxiety, isn't it? Because stress and anxiety is just worrying about what's what, going to happen. Yeah. I mean, yes, you get stress and anxiety about what has happened and reliving it over and over and over again. But sure. then that in itself changes what has happened. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you, you think to yourself, oh, did I come across like that or did I come across like that? The other person has forgotten everything that's ever happened because it was of no importance whatsoever. Yet you're sitting there going, oh, my God, I'm sure I called them a twat. No, you just asked them if they'd had a nice day. But in your head, <laughs> it could have happened. Did it? We're Did not it? sure. Yeah, and we'll never sure. know because yeah. no one was recording it at the time. Yeah, that's it. And it's your brain against, well, your brain. Yeah. Because the other person doesn't care. Worst, that's the worst part is your brain my brain your is brain. a shit. <laughs> and my brain's really good at beating my brain up. And then it just forgets. So I have no idea whether Rendlesham is real or really it was misclassification of some stars and or burning wreckage from a Soviet spacecraft. Oh, could have. Well, that, well yeah. apparently, yeah, that was one of the things. So I at 3 a.m. really hope there was a, a piece that burnt up in the atmosphere. That it was not stars, because I would hope that people that high up in the military would be able to, like, if there's a group of them, yeah, fair enough, if it was mm. one person on their own, they might go, well, that that bright light over there looks a bit dodgy. I would hope that someone would go, no, you twat, that's a star. It's difficult, though, because it happens all the time, apparently. And just because they're in the military means doesn't mean they're any less fallible than anybody well, no, else. no, no, I, I, I know, but sure, there, there's training there to be observant. There must be. There has to be. Please say there is. Yeah, I mean, that's one of the things they, they mentioned on I Know What You Saw when they're getting everybody together, like, oh, you know, blah, blah, and one of them starts speaking and he says something about, so there was X amount of military personnel, all trained observers. Yeah. And he literally makes that point. Um, because they're, they're trained to observe and report. Yeah, exactly. It's like... Scouting and Yeah, you whatever. have to know how to look, see what's important, retain that information. And, and then it back concisely. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, it's, Which is, if I'd only heard the the testimony on, I know what you, I know what I saw, I'd probably think that's exactly what happened. But looking at some of this other stuff, I'm like, well, I'm now I'm not sure. But you'd certainly think that a little bit of kind of starshine twinkle wouldn't yeah. get mistaken for an object beaming, beaming down lights light to with the bits floor. flinging off. And yeah, I'm yeah. sorry, I don't care how. But again, how, if Nick Redfern's right, then it was kind of aerosolized hallucinogens and they were all tripping balls. Which, which is the way you want to spend Christmas. Well, yeah, that's, I suppose it is, yeah. In hang on a minute, it was the eight if it was the eighties, there were probably there was probably a rave going on somewhere. Yeah, raves were nineties, love, weren't they? Eighty oh my god, love. There were raves in like eighties. Really? Yeah. Well, I never went to raves. Metalhead. Don't go to raves. I mean it would have been quite early on, but farmers are weird anyway. There's a lot of drug use on farms. Yeah, it's a bit boring out here. Yeah. <laughs> Once they've got the cows fed and the chickens reshod and the horses charged, I don't know, whatever. They'd probably just sit Plugged and snort a few lines of coke and enjoy their evening. Well, no, it's a farm, love. They're going to be smoking weed, aren't they? Are they? Oh, I suppose, yeah, because they can grow it there. Yeah. They just grow it everywhere. Honestly, though, the amount of, like, there must be... It's just, there's like mushrooms around here are like all over the place. There are like mm. roundabouts around here. 
that are wow. covered in mushrooms and weed plants sprouting out all over the place. If you take a lovely sail down the river, people plant everywhere. Yeah, well, it's it's a weed. It proliferates everywhere. Exactly. Um, it's easy to spread on toast if you put it in butter. Not garlic bread. I'm just a little bit disappointed in old Peniston. Well, just because he changed his mind so much. And I thought, you know, mm. I was like, oh my goodness, I put on here, bloody touched it. Yeah. What a nutter. Yeah. And then we don't know if he did because then he said, oh no, we didn't actually get close to it. It was yeah, so far away. It's like, well, statement. make up, make up yeah. your mind, mate. You just well, trying like I say, to. I think the, I touched it. I saw the symbols. I got downloaded I saw the sign and it opened up my mind. Yeah. Binary code was after the Does anyone, regression hypnosis. Yeah. Did anyone actually look into what that binary code I couldn't meant? find anything. Somebody apparently did try and help him decipher it, but I, that was all it said. Was it like Bender's uh, ass tattoo thing? Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. Could, that was <gasps> time travel. There you go. Yeah, the we solved tra- it. it. Do you know we what it, it was? It was Bender's shiny metal ass. Yeah, coming back through time, screaming to steal the Mona Lisa, and yeah. um, there you go, and then fly back to Roswell because that was him as well, apparently. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? It's about drama. Yeah. So yeah, Futurama have basically done. Or given a reason for the uh, Rendlesham incident as well as the Roswell one. There you go. Perfect. Well, yeah, I would definitely like to take a little trip out there one day because, you know, any excuse for a, a little mini adventure. Road trip. Take a picnic, go sit. Ask a coffee. Sit in a farmer's field. Geiger counter. Have you got one of those? No. Isn't a Geiger counter for earthquakes? No, for radiation. Oh, no, that's the thingy one, isn't it? Seismometer. That's the one. Yeah. I haven't got one of those either. No. Probably get them both on Amazon if we want to, though. I'm not sure I want to, though. No. All right. Fair enough. I just feel like if I got one, I'd just be constantly temp- checking the background radiation. No, no, no. The, the, no, for the the seismometer, I'd be ke- constantly checking for tremors. Right. Okay. But not like shakes, as in those weird the, the worm worms, things yeah, from tremors. Yeah. And be like, Kevin Bacon, come and save me. What's going on with my voice? I don't know. It I don't was know. Interesting. It's weird, it wasn't was, it? Yeah. It was dual tone. It was an interesting yeah. dual tone. What a talent. Don't think I can do it again. We were quite surprised recently as well when we watched Friday the 13th for the first time. We've, <gasps> yes. I, we've never seen I any of those I'd movies seen for some I had not Big seen it. Big horror movie fans, never seen it. It was pretty crap, wasn't I'll, it? I will say again, though. To be fair. When all of this was coming out, I was a Hellraiser girl. And you, te- you did tend to pick your, your team, didn't Nightmare you? Nightmare on Elm Street for me. Yeah, see? Yeah. Never Everyone really else watched was watching that. the Halloween film, films or the uh, Jason movies and... I think I might have seen one or two here or there. We've w- recently watched both the original Halloween and the remake, haven't yeah. we? Yeah, yeah. There was issues. Was it the remake? No, we didn't watch the remake. We made, watched the new version the new where one, the kind Laurie of... Strode is an older lady, a grandma, didn't we? But yeah, we watched Friday the 13th Part 1 and really oddly, Jason only really appears in it once at the end, doesn't he? Yeah. Which, sorry if you've not seen it, spoilers. But it was it was a film that had Kevin Bacon in it. We're going back to Friday the 13th. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, so I was like, I know it's spoilers, but the film is like, what, 30 years old or something ridiculous yeah, like I mean, that. Yeah, if you like um, this and you haven't seen it by now, yeah. close your ears, turn it off, whatever. Um, skip forward 30 seconds. Yeah, I was a bit, because it, it wasn't him. It was no, the mum. it was the mum. It was a, a psycho. It was a psycho mother. Off. And this is what happens when you leave mothers in the woods. Well, I guess it was the other way around, wasn't it? Because psycho, he said it was his mum, but actually it was his, him. True. 
True. Assuming his mother's. Oh my goodness, we're getting this. This is like some kind of weird horror film <sighs> Inception. So, if you have anything to add to that story, maybe you live close by, or you've heard rumours, or you know a website that's got some details, you can drop us an email. Stories of strangeness at gmail.com. And also, if you wanted to like send us your own stories, we will happily take those on and read them out for you. If you want to link up with like-minded people, we have a Facebook page and group where you can chat your little hearts out. Yep. Facebook.com slash stories of strangeness. If you want to join the group, there is a button that says... Join group. Surprisingly. It is surprising. Yeah. You can find us on Instagram. At stories of strangeness. Stories of strangeness, yes, either we, or. Yes, yes, you are. We're also on Twitter. So strange pod. Yeah. At so strange pod. I just want to say uh, hello to Life of Christmas. Oh. I think his handle is normally something, Life of Something Different, but for Christmas he's gone all festive. <laughs> Who mentioned that he was glad that he'd found us and binge listened to most of our episodes already Aww. and said his favourite ones were Mary Shelley by Zoe and my episode on Bigfoot. Amazing. I'm, Thank I'm you. I chatted to him a little bit on Twitter, but hello. Hope you're Thank still Thank you for listening. listening. If you want to check out some random artwork, we have a Redbubble account and yep. we are really behind. Although by the time you listen to this, we might not be. Who I'm not knows? quite so behind. I've, only got, I've got this one to do and I've got one other one to do, which I still haven't done. One behind. It's like five behind, I'm sure. Zoe, catch up. So that's our Redbubble account. Mm. You can get mad drawings on mad products and yep. if you go to redbubble and search zoe and mike you will find us hopefully hopefully there'll be a link in the show notes yes and lastly if you feel sorry for us or if you really like us or even if you don't like us you can sponsor us on patreon you can and you will get extra content we are doing minisodes yep you can see our time-lapse drawings that's the one time-lapse drawings and, and outtakes Bad and outtakes. Oh, you don't want to hear what Occasional we say. pictures of us eating biscuits. Is I there? did actually put a picture of me eating a bourbon onto our Instagram story recently. It was terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. But yes, that's how much is it? At the minute, you can chip in and whatever you want. I don't know. I'll figure <laughs> it out. Just, you know, it's up to you. You make your own tears it's in this one apparently. one of those jobs I keep trying to get around to and failing spectacularly every it's time it goes onto the top of my ignore pile. That's that's a really it's literally it fell over the other day and it set all the car alarms off. And I got complaints from Shenzhen in China. Yes, that's the Great Wall of China is actually your to do <laughs> pile my, um, on its side. Pile, yeah. <laughs> it tipped over when the moon hit the top of it. Gosh. <laughs> uh, help me before we go. Yeah, I'd like to take you back. To the 15th of January, 1797. I remember it well. It may have been you. In London, a haberdasher named John Hetherington. I'm going to say that again. Yeah. In London, a haberdasher named John Hetherington. He wore the first top hat out in public and a crowd gathered around him and he was fined £50 for causing public nuisance. What they don't tell you is he was only wearing the top hat. Oh, my goodness. Maybe a bow tie as well. <laughs> a cravat. But yes, could you imagine? I was going to say that brings a, a whole, new, hat. whole new meaning to the word dicky bow. Oh, my God. <laughs> but yes, 
a top hat caused such a stir that the wearer was fined £50. I don't even know how much £50 would have been back then. That was a lot of money. causing a public nuisance. That was probably his year's profits. I think it was he even was... worse when the next year he did a wheelie on a penny farthing and really caused a ruckus. Is that even possible? No. No, I don't think not... so. You probably do an endo, but you'd fall over. I was going to say, a, a backwards wheelie. Yeah. But yes, that's uh, my interesting fact for the day. Hurrah. Right, that's it. You can't stay here, but you don't have to go home. I, I live here. Oh, bugger. Right, bye. Love you.